Well, we look forward to being back in the book of Acts next week. Uh, before this morning, we are in Proverbs. We are in Proverbs. One of the signs that <clears throat> I'm getting older, and there are a lot of these signs uh, lately, uh, is that now I get emotional whenever I encounter something that has to do with dropping off your kids at college. Uh, you know, I'm listening to like a random country song, and, the country, and he starts to sing about that. I like, I just start, I just got start getting choked up. Uh, not too long ago, we were watching this really like silly movie called Mitchells versus the Machines, and the story ends off with like the daughter going off to college, and I'm like getting all emotional at the end of this like cartoon. Um, <clears throat> you know, as, as every parent knows, that day is coming, right? For, for, for those of you who are parents, when, when our kids will leave home. Yeah, recently I was like shocked to count up just how few summers I, we have left with all the kids. Uh, that day is fast approaching when, when my kids are going to sort of embark out into the real world, leave my roof. How do I prepare them to walk out into that world? What do I need to make sure that they know for that day? It's a scary thought because we all know how hard the world can be. We know the temptations that are out there. We know the disappointments that they'll face. We know the heartaches and all that can go wrong. We know these things because we have lived them ourselves. We know them because we continue to live them out day by day, even today. You know, as parents, we want to protect our children, but who's going to protect us? Are we prepared to walk out into the world on Monday morning? Do we have what it takes to make it? We are continuing our series through Proverbs, and this morning we come to chapter 4. And like a wise father speaking to his children, equipping them to live in this world, Solomon speaks to us this morning by the Holy Spirit. Uh, here is divine wisdom that we need in order to make it in this world. Uh, if you're taking notes, I've got three points. I don't know if they made it to the slides. There they are. Okay. Point number one, pursue wisdom like you're pursuing an excellent spouse. Point number two, make wisdom your career path. And point number three, guard your heart with wisdom. Whether you are a college student, whether you are at the prime of your life, or whether you are coming to the end of your journey, I mean, here is wisdom for all of us. All right, Proverbs chapter four. So number one, pursue wisdom like you're pursuing an excellent spouse. Look, look with me. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. 
Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Well, this chapter begins with Solomon speaking to his sons. Uh, He gives us a little biographical insight, uh, a little reflection on the teaching that his father passed down to him when he was still a young boy. I mean, isn't that interesting? When, you know, we encounter Solomon, the famous Solomon story in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, where God comes to him in a dream, asks him what he, what he wants. Uh, and Solomon, this young king, could have asked for anything, right? Wealth, power, fame. But instead, he asks for wisdom to discern good and evil so that he might rule his people rightly. Where did Solomon's desire for wisdom come from? Well, it appears that it came from his father, David. Uh, As we see here, from, from a young age, David impressed on Solomon that above everything else, he should pursue wisdom. Verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get insight. I can picture David as an older father saying to his son, you know, Solomon, power is fleeting. Money, fame, athletic achievement, these things pass away. All these pursuits are secondary. No, Solomon, my son, devote yourself to pursuing wisdom. Whatever else you get in life, get wisdom above all. Well, what is that wisdom that we're to pursue? This is what we've been studying all along here in the book of Proverbs. Uh, we've seen Solomon answer this in the preceding chapter. So, so going back to chapter 1, Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Right? Wisdom, knowledge, these things begin with a right relationship with God, a recognition that God is God, that we are his creatures, that he made us, and that we live in his world. And therefore, if we are going to live rightly in this world, we have to order our lives according to him rather than ourselves. We must fear him, revere him, worship him more than we fear anything else. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, how do we get this wisdom? Well, it's not found in books. It's not found in ourselves. It's not found in this world's experts. No, wisdom is found in God, right? Proverbs 2 verse 5 It promises that those who come to God humbly will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And as we saw last time, wisdom means trusting God in every circumstance of our lives. Right? Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Wisdom is not just some theoretical idea that we can just sort of discuss and ponder academically. No, wisdom has to do with our lives, how we trust God in the midst of daily life, how we handle our finances, how we handle conflict, how we conduct our relationships. In all those circumstances, we trust God. We obey his word. 
We, we don't lean on our own understanding. We trust him to make our paths straight. That, that's the wisdom that David is calling Solomon, his son, to pursue above all else. And that's the wisdom that Solomon wants to pass on to us, to his people. You know, I think here is, is great parenting advice, uh, again, for parents here. Because, you know, we all have, like, academic ambitions for our kids. We all want them to be good athletes. Um, we want them to be sociable. But realize that most of all, our prayer should be that our kids would learn wisdom, right, above everything else. That, that they would learn to fear the Lord. Um, so, so when they win that sports tournament or when they fail that math test, our prayer and our encouragement for them should be that in those things, they turn to God. They, they learn to trust him with all their hearts. When they leave home, our prayer is that they would leave with a sense of how much we love them and that pursuing this kind of wisdom is their highest priority, no matter what may come. Well, to encourage us in that pursuit, Solomon here portrays wisdom as an excellent spouse, as an excellent wife. You know, every, every parent wants their ch children to find a good spouse. We know that that's going to be one of their most important decisions they'll ever make. We want them to find somebody who will bless them, who will build them up, who will push them in good ways. And so we, we try to teach our children, you know, here's what you look for, right? Here's what you should demand of anybody that comes, you know, pursuing you. Uh, we warn them to stay away from, from bad seeds, uh, you know, Solomon reminds us of the importance of that, even in, in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 12.4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. But here, the father is not talking about finding an excellent wife, but about finding wisdom. Wisdom has become this excellent spouse. In other words, pursue wisdom like you would pursue finding a wonderful spouse. And when you find that, when you find wisdom, don't let it go. Right? Verse 8, prize wisdom highly. Embrace her. Verse 6, never forsake her. In other words, pursue wisdom. Be committed to wisdom for the rest of your life. Fall in love with wisdom. Let her be your lifelong companion. Uh, that's a powerful image for our relationship with wisdom, isn't it? Because too often when it comes to wisdom, we, we think that we can play both sides. We, we straddle the fence. We, we think we can get the best of both worlds. You know, sure, I'll see what God can do for me. But I also want to see what the world has to offer. That's not how you pursue wisdom. If you want to learn the fear of the Lord... You have to entrust yourself entirely to that relationship. According to verse 7 here, um, our pursuit of wisdom is exclusive, has to be exclusive. Uh, the, the CSB says wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. Whatever else you get, get insight. To embrace wisdom means recognizing that, that wisdom is the most important thing. She is supreme. Yes, yes, by all means, think about your retirement. You know, build a good home. 
advance in your career, all those other things are, are fine and great and they can come, but those things are secondary. Whatever else you get or don't get, make sure you get wisdom. Just like pursuing a wonderful spouse means closing the door on all other potential spouses, all other competing priorities, so pursue wisdom in that way. In a world where we are always hedging our bets, where we, are always, where we always have backup plans or exit strategies, no, Solomon is saying, no, when it comes to pursuing wisdom, you need to go all in. You need to entrust your entire life to God. There is no plan B. There is no exit strategy. If it doesn't work out, we are of all people most to be pitied. You will not get to enjoy all that this world has to offer. But what you will gain is far better. Why? Because as we see here, this is the path to true happiness. Wisdom brings great reward. We see this in verses 8 through 9. You want God's favor in life? Then pursue wisdom. You want to be honored for living a righteous life, an honorable life? Then pursue wisdom. You want to be crowned with beauty, with authority? Then whatever you do, get wisdom. Because those are the blessings and the gifts that trusting God bring. In other words, all that you really want in life, all that will come for you as you pursue God, as you pursue the fear of God. Your desire for honor and for beauty and for favor, you know, these are not wrong in and of themselves. They are only wrong when we pursue them apart from God. Just like pursuit of marital, marital intimacy apart from a spouse will ultimately prove frustrating and fleeting so will any pursuit of honor and glory without the fear of God be frustrating and fleeting. If you really want to know joy and fulfillment and honor, then pursue wisdom. Do you want to be exalted in your workplace? Do you want recognition in your ministry? Do you want to be loved by others? And then pursue the fear of the Lord, right? Don't, don't gossip. Don't manipulate people. Don't trample on others to climb a ladder. Aim at wisdom. Aim at the fear of the Lord, treating other people fairly, honestly, working sacrificially, being content with what the Lord has given you. Aim at a trust in God, whatever your circumstance, and leave the results to him. You may get some recognition in this life, or you may not. You may see amazing fruit, or you may never see the reward of your labors. But either way, pursue wisdom and leave the results to God. Let God be the one to exalt you and reward you. Because that is the reward that matters. That is the reward that lasts. Pursue wisdom like an excellent spouse to the very end, and she will reward you. Number two. Make wisdom your career path. Right, look at chapter 4, verse 10. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her for she is your life. 
Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. You know, as we embark out onto this world, there are so many decisions that we face. What major should I study? What internship should I take? Should I apply for grad school? Uh, Where should I live? When should I buy a home? Where should I invest my money? What career path should I take? Now, these are all real decisions. They, they have real consequences depending on what we choose. It can all seem so overwhelming. But here, the father lays out for his son a simpler view of the path ahead. Really, son, this all boils down to two paths. There are just two ways to live. In every decision that you make, there is the way of wisdom, walking in the fear of the Lord. And then there's the way of folly, walking in the way of sin. That's it. Two ways to live. In every decision that you face, really, out of those thousand decisions, there's really just two decisions. Wisdom or sin. You know, that's how it's been since the very beginning. When God made our very first parents, Adam and Eve, he, he placed them there in the Garden of Eden. Uh, as you can imagine, I mean, they're, they're brand new, living in this world that God has made. There's all kinds of things that they need to figure out. All kinds of tasks ahead for them to learn, for them to work out. All kinds of wonderful things to discover. And yet, at the same time, it all boiled down to one ultimate decision. Would they fear God and listen to his word? Or would they disobey and go their own way? Depending on how they responded to that one decision, all of life would go well for them or everything would result in disaster. And our first parents made their choice. They rejected God's word. They sought to be wise on their own. And they plunged this world into sin and death. And as their children living in the same world that God has made, every day we face that same crossroads. Two ways to live. Uh, Amid all the other decisions in life, it all boils down to this. Will we walk in the path of wisdom or will we walk in the path of sin? Uh, Amid all the other decisions that you will ever make, this is the most important one. If you want life, then you choose the path of wisdom. But if you choose the path of sin, it will lead to your stumbling, to your falling, and ultimately to your destruction. This is, how, this is how Jesus puts it in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Two gates, two paths, two ways to live. 
One leads to life, the other leads to destruction. One is the way of wisdom and the other is the way of folly. So how do we find the way to wisdom? Well, we have to know God's word. We have to know what God has revealed to us by his word. Just as Adam and Eve had to rightly understand what God has told them, what he had commanded, so must we. But in addition to that, I think verses 14 through 17 give us another important clue for finding the way of wisdom. We have to consider who is walking on that path that we're seeking to go on. Who else is on that path? Whose footsteps are we following? Are they people who fear God? Or are they people who live in wickedness? Solomon here gives us examples of those who live in wickedness. I mean, the thing about living in sin is that you're always going to try to get other people to join in with you on that sin. Uh, That's how you justify it, right? If everybody's doing it, it must be okay. And so, so people living in sin want others to join them in it. That's why the road leading to destruction is so broad, and there's so many people on it. Friends, if you have people in your life that are tempting you to wickedness, Solomon says, don't go near them. Avoid that path. I wonder what relationships you need to cut off for the sake of your own spiritual health. Sometimes that's hard to do, right? You, you might be working with somebody who, who's your boss or, or a coworker, or maybe even a loved one in your family who, who clearly does not fear the Lord. Uh, you can't cut them off. I mean, you, you need to go to work, right? You need to interact with these people. What do you do then? Well, you, you should continue to interact with them. You should submit to them as appropriate. Uh, you should work with them. You should talk with them. You know. But what this means is that even as you do so, you refuse to follow their ways, right? You, even while they might be creating a culture in their homes or in their workplace that might be ruthless or impatient or greedy, you demonstrate something different. You demonstrate grace and patience and kindness. You, you follow a different example in that context. Even while they walk in darkness, you continue to walk in light. You know, we live in a day where even beyond our personal relationships, uh, there is no shortage of Internet influences speaking into our lives. The Internet makes it really easy for us to go out there and looking for all kinds of experts and gurus who can advise us and counsel us and disciple us in how to live life. And, you know, being on the Internet, I mean, you know how this works on social media. It's so easy to curate your online presence, right? So all that people see is what's impressive and appealing and attractive. So we watch these people on YouTube or we listen to their voices on podcasts. We allow them to speak into our hearts and our lives. You know, from a distance, it's, it's all so compelling. But, but the question I think that Proverbs 4 raises is, do we really know what these people are like who are speaking to our lives? Uh, you know, to know what path they walk on, Solomon here points us to what they do in private, to, to, to what they eat and drink, to, to what they think about when they lie on their beds. You know, the wicked may look impressive with their curated personas, but it's their private lives that really reveal what their, what their hearts are like. You know, how many stories have you heard of these influential teachers and coaches and leaders who, who amass all these followers, but then 
all these followers are crushed when they come to learn that their, their private lives are marked by scandal and, and all kinds of wickedness. So therefore, I, I would present to you as those, as, as those living in the 21st century, internet influences are of limited utility, limited value. You can benefit from them. You can learn things from them, sure. But don't let them be your central influence in your life because you don't really know these people. You don't know if these are really voices of wisdom or something else. I know one of the things, whenever I listen to Christian teaching online, one of the first things I look for is, where is this person a member of in terms of a local church? Right? Is he a member of a local church? Well, just as you avoid the path of folly by avoiding the wicked, so you walk on the path of wisdom by looking for righteous people to follow, by looking for people who are living wisely. Uh, the path of the righteous is what we're looking for, Solomon says. And this is where I think the local church is such a gift to us. All right, we, we just had the, the joy and the privilege of calling Philip to serve as a pastor. Just realize, 21st century, what a gift this is to have uh, a pastor physically present here in our midst. Right? We, uh, rather than following the teaching of some voice on the internet or, or some preacher on a screen or, or some pastor who is like buried behind layers of administrative bureaucracy. No, we have a pastor who's like sitting right here. Uh, on the front, like in the, in the front of the church, uh, who, somebody who is one of us, who has planted his life in this neighborhood, um, who is not only teaching us God's word, but living life with us. Right? What a gift in, in this world of disembodied gurus. Now we get an embodied pastor living here in our, in, in our church. And we get to benefit then from his life. We get to learn wisdom from him. So, brothers and sisters, let's give ourselves to benefiting from his ministry, receiving what the Lord would have us to learn. And not only from Philip, from, from so many wise and humble voices here in this church. You know, there's so many helpful resources. I, I, I think of the recent memorial service that we had for Imogene. What an example she left for us of someone who walked in the way of wisdom. So here's my challenge to you. Right? Center your discipleship here in the local church. Make this the primary place where you are seeking to grow in Christ from the resources that are available to you here. The ministry of the word, the shepherding of the elders here, the, the, the fellowship and the discipleship of one another. Because here is where you're going to find real people, embodied people, walking on the path of wisdom, and they're going to help you do the same thing. As you live together, talk to one another. Ask each other questions. Learn wisdom from one another. David Pallison writes this, Wisdom is a verbal virtue. Proverbs comes to us in the form of personal conversation, not as a sermon or a book. No, the, the wise father and mother come as counselors. My son, my daughter. The joyously purposeful wisdom is a preeminently a counselor. Wisdom is is a conversational skill. I think that's right. We learn wisdom as we talk to one another intentionally, meaningfully. Whatever wisdom the Lord has given to us here, we want that to spread as we get to know each other, as we talk to one another, as we engage one another. I love the image of verses 18 to 19, the way wisdom can seem dark at first, 
When you start walking in it, the way may seem dim like a starlit path. But the longer you walk on it, the brighter it gets. Until finally the sun rises. And until finally the noonday comes. And all the shadows flee. You know, whatever light that is shining in your life, use it to help others who are in darkness to walk along that path with you. The way to the kingdom of light is with the company of light. And so we walk on that way of wisdom together. That's the career path we want to pursue. And finally, number three, guard your heart with wisdom. Look at verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. <clears throat> you know, we all want our children to be healthy. We want them to take care of their bodies, to exercise. You know, I'm now like a grown man, but whenever I talk to my mom, she always asks me, am I, am I still eating well? Right? Do you, uh, you know, she won't say I've lost weight. No, she'll say I've put on weight. Um, <clears throat> she'll ask me if, I've, if I'm getting enough sleep because you look tired. Uh, she asked me if I've recently had a cholesterol checkup uh, and if I'm exercising. I, I, don't, I don't mind that at all. I love that about her. Uh, but I understand, right? That's what we want for our kids. We want them to, to be healthy, to have healthy habits, to be healthy physically and mentally. Well, I think that's what we see here. Right? The father wants his son to be healthy, to have, to have eyes and feet and hearts and ears that all work rightly. But what he's talking about is not physical health, but spiritual health. Uh, he wants a body that is marked by wisdom. And the way to gain that kind of spiritual health is first and foremost by keeping the heart with wisdom. By putting wisdom in the heart and guarding the heart from folly. Because out of that flows true life and true health and right living. What does Solomon mean by the heart? What's the heart? Well, you know, represented by that organ which lies at the center of our bodies, this is the seat of all that we are, all of our intentions, all of our thoughts, all of our desires, our emotions. The heart is what controls us. It is what makes you, you. It is out of the heart that comes all that you think and all that you desire and all that you do. How we relate, how we talk. You know, in a previous generation, uh, industrialism and modernity located people's identity in what they did, in their output, in what they contributed to society. Right? That's what makes you, you. These days, in our Freudian context, identity is tied to sexual activity to your preferences. Being, being true to yourself means living out whatever sexual desires you may have. 
But I want to tell you that neither of those things are at the core of who you are. No, behind whatever physical output you have, behind all of your desires, is a much more fundamental you. Those things are extraneous to you. They do not define you. No, rather, there is a heart that is at the core of who you are, out of which flows all those things. And unlike what the world will tell you, nobody else will tell you this out in society, but, but, but here we are from God's word. What, what the Bible will tell you is that your heart is not pure and noble. No, your hearts are corrupt. Ever since the fall, our hearts do not function like they ought to. They do not worship God. No, they have become bent in on ourselves to worship ourselves. Not only that, but our hearts constantly deceive us, making us think that we are better than we really are. As the prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We think our hearts are good and upright and well-meaning and, and upright and in, with good intentions. And in fact, we are deceiving ourselves. Our hearts are desperately sick. So the, the world that tells us, follow your hearts, follow your dreams, don't let anybody tell you otherwise, you do you, they are actually trying to ruin you. That is the path to folly. They will make a lot of money trying to help you to do that, even while they ruin your life. But here, Solomon is telling us something else. Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Rather than simply being who you are, rather than simply just taking what you desire, what you want, what you enjoy for granted, that's just the way I am, I was born that way. No, Solomon here says, no, we have a responsibility to keep our hearts. We have a responsibility to educate our hearts, to train our hearts according to wisdom. Rather than simply trusting our hearts to, to want what we want and, want and that's the right thing, no, the father here urges his son to keep his words of wisdom within his heart, to keep putting wisdom into the heart and keep them there being on guard against any deceitfulness, against any wrong thinking, guarding it with all vigilance because from the heart flows the springs of life. It's in the heart that we need to find a true change. Because, you know, if, if you want to fix up your life, there's so much to work on. Uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin, in an effort to improve himself, once made a list of 13 virtues that he would work on Week after week, start with version number one, work on it this week, then move to version number two, work on it the next week. And he kept finding that as he went along, this virtue would then fall off the wayside. And then like he would lose that ability. Then he had to go back to the top and start again. And eventually he just found out that he, he really couldn't keep up with this program. There's no way for us to keep track of all of the virtues that we need to work on. No, actually what we need are new hearts. We need hearts transformed by, informed by wisdom. And the message of the Bible is that there is nothing more powerful to transform our hearts than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul calls Jesus the wisdom of God. You want to put wisdom into your heart? Well, then put Jesus into your heart. Learn wisdom from Jesus. 
Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world. He lived a perfect life of fearing God, of obeying God, of loving others. Whatever you see described in the Proverbs, Jesus did it perfectly. And yet even then, it seemed like all did not go well for him. Rather than being clothed with favor and crowned with honor, they mocked him. They stripped him. They beat him. They pressed the crown of thorns on his brow. And then they nailed him to a cross and killed him. His enemies thought that they were defeating him. But as it turned out, this was all part of God's plan. Because on the cross, Jesus defeated our sin. He defeated death once and for all. He offered his life as a sacrifice in the place of sinners, bearing their judgment for them. And for that sacrificial obedience, God raised them from the dead, exalting him to the highest place. Friends, why would meditating on Jesus teach us wisdom? Because Jesus is the ultimate proof that living in the fear of God brings great reward. That living in the fear of God is worth it. For his perfect obedience, his life of wisdom, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Are you ever tempted to think that fearing God is just not worth the cost? Then look at Jesus. There is proof that righteousness and goodness and justice are worth it. That living in the fear of God will ultimately win. And now, as the risen and reigning Savior, Jesus calls us to follow him. He calls us to turn away from the path of sin and to begin walking along his footsteps in the path of wisdom. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. The way of wisdom travels along his footprints. In him, we have the wisest teacher that we could ever have. He doesn't just tell us about the way of wisdom. No, he walked it for us and he walks it with us. And we can follow him in that way. If you're not a Christian here, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is where you begin. You begin by turning away from your own pride, from your own self-righteousness, and turning to Jesus as your wise and loving Savior. He is the beginning of wisdom. Through Jesus, God has made a way for you to be reconciled to him, to be brought into his home. Even now, you can humbly pray to him, And if you have any questions about what that means, I would love to talk to you after the service and and find some more time later this week to explore this wonderful news further. The gospel is ultimately how we guard our hearts from corruption, from its own deceitfulness. We learn wisdom as we continually rehearse this message of Christ and his love for us and his victory over our sin. Whenever you're feeling discouraged, Whenever you're tempted to envy, whenever you're lonely, when you're angry, when you're bitter, when you're doubting whether or not God loves you, when all these lies are coming at you for 10,000 temptations and more, we respond by turning to Jesus, the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God. We keep our hearts from being corrupted by dwelling with Christ 
and his finished work for us. Friends, there's nothing more excellent, more praiseworthy than to dwell on Christ himself. And so let me encourage you, even this week, when you, as you meet with another member of the church, as you, when you encounter a brother or sister here, talk to one another about Christ. Say, brother, sister, how are you living near Christ today? What does that look like? Help me. Encourage me. Remind me of who Jesus is. Right? Let's, let's rejoice in him together. You know, as much as the fight for righteousness, for obedience, for holiness may feel like a battle, I think verses 24 to 27 are meant to be an encouragement for us. Because they are a description, I think, of what it looks like when our hearts are filled with wisdom. When, when our hearts are near to Christ, then we are not attracted to sin like we might be when we are far from Christ. Uh, our, our lips won't be tempted to crooked speech. Our eyes won't be tempted to wander. Our feet will walk on the right path. Friends, this is sanctification. This is what maturity in the Christian life looks like as we keep our hearts near to Christ. You know, when we do that, when Christ dwells with us in our hearts, then the Christian life becomes sweet. Then the Christian life is a joy, not a burden. The Puritans would talk about having a good conscience before God. And this is what they would say when you have a good conscience. It is the very head of all comforts. It makes a man to taste the sweetness of things heavenly and spiritual. It makes the word to be to him, as David, sweeter than honey. A good conscience makes a man taste sweetness in prayer, sweetness in the Sabbath, sweetness in the sacraments. What is the reason so few of you taste sweetness in these things? The reason is this, because you have not the peace of a good conscience. Or we would say, because you do not have a wise heart. A good conscience makes a man taste sweetness in all outward things, in meat, in drink, in sleep, in the company of friends. A good conscience sweetens evils to a man as trouble and crosses and sorrows and afflictions. So when external troubles and afflictions turmoil and vex us, then to have peace within, the peace of conscience, to allay all and quiet all, what a happiness this is. And when sickness and death comes, what will a good conscience be worth then? It will be worth more than all the world besides. The conscience is God's echo of peace to the soul. In life, in death, in judgment, it is unspeakable comfort. That's what we want, right? We want hearts that are near to Christ. We want consciences that are cleansed. We want to dwell near to him because that is the peace that surpasses all understanding, found only in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, guard your hearts in Christ. There is true health and life. Like a father speaking to his children, our loving Heavenly Father has spoken to us this morning as we prepare to embark on another week. Pursue wisdom above all. Walk in the way of wisdom Guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. This is how we make it in a world full of trouble. And this is the path that leads us home, never to wander again. Let's pray together.
And even before I lead us in prayer, let me just give you a moment of silence to reflect on what you've heard and to respond to God in your own words in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us wisdom. Oh, Lord, we confess that we lack it. Oh, Lord, we confess that we are so often marked by worldly thinking. But, Lord, even this morning, Lord, show us Christ. Show us the true wisdom that comes from you. Lord, we pray that we would grab hold of him. Lord, that we would learn wisdom from him. Lord, that we would know that wisdom is the path to life. Lord, that we would make that our ambition in whatever else that we face. And Lord, as we walk in faithfulness, Lord, that you would bring us home safely to yourself. Lord, cause our lives to shine brightly with the wisdom of Christ, even this week, that others may see, that others may be drawn to it, uh, that many may be saved. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.